And I'm Scott. And we are Fired Up, Ready to Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome, listeners. Welcome to the podcast. We're going to get right to it because this is maybe our longest one ever. But please understand... We, we have, have had the shit, shit show trio. trio in the state of Virginia, and we must cover it all. And now, domestic Trump troubles. The Washington Post reports, Acting Attorney General Matthew Whitaker came to testify in front of the House Judiciary Committee. What we learned from the Matthew Whitaker hearing. Number one. The consensus was that he was in over his head. At one point, he told the chairman, Jerry Nadler, that he had exceeded his five minutes for questions. (laughs) He repeatedly stalled by avoiding easy yes or no questions or not answering at all, oftentimes going on and on by saying, thank you very much for your question, or other ridiculous things like, I can see you're passionate about this issue. It was really just humiliating. Um, He also would not deny that Mueller is a witch hunt after repeatedly criticizing the Mueller investigation as a private citizen. Um, He also said that a sitting president cannot be indicted, saying it was the policy of the Department of Justice. According to Vox... Representative Pramila Jayapal grilled the acting attorney general about family separation, and he had no answers. Mm. He said there was no family separation policy, and when pushed that there was a DOJ memo about it, uh, he said he wasn't aware of that. And then he repeatedly struggled to justify Trump's position that the lack of border wall along the southern border is a major source of crime in the United States. Representative Veronica Escobar forced Whitaker to admit that Trump's claims about El Paso, Texas, experiencing a dramatic decrease in crime following construction of a wall along that city's border with Mexico uh, is not supported by FBI data. Mm-hmm. And she is, of course, a representative from Texas. From Texas. So overall, he just came off looking inept, um, and it's it'll be good to see him go. That's my assessment. It's a real smooth move to tell the chairman of the committee that is hosting his time is up. That his time is up. Yeah, it was really smooth, and he just looked underprepared and inexperienced. And it was incredibly embarrassing. But this is the acting attorney general of the United States of America, which, you know, there was some interesting, uh, there were some interesting questions about, and I don't know the representative's name who said, we are confused and trying to figure out how you You got got this this job. job. I remember that. Yeah. But his attitude about the whole separation of families at the borders was sickening. There was just a, an amorality about it and a lack of any concern about what has happened to those families. Uh, and that representative did a great job pointing that out. Excellent. 
The richest man in the world, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, was caught with his pants down quite literally by one of America's leading tabloids, the National Enquirer, which had acquired salacious photos and texts that the billionaire had shared with his girlfriend. We learned of this because, when threatened by the paper that the photos and texts might be published, unless Bezos himself made public the paper's threats and details of what the texts contained. What does this have to do with politics? Well, the same National Enquirer was the third party besides convicted felon Michael Cohen and unindicted conspirator number one to have participated in campaign finance law violations by essentially buying the silence of then-candidate Donald Trump's porn actress mistress in the weeks before the election that made him president. So why isn't the paper, especially David Pecker, chief of the paper's publisher AMI, not in hot water along with Cohen? Well, because of the very generous immunity deal he was offered for his cooperation with the special counsel that helped secure Cohen's fate. And if Pecker helped land Cohen behind bars, did he likewise throw unindicted conspirator number one under the bus? It's the kind of thing that makes you go, hmm, <laughs> and prompted CNN to report, quote, that's why when the Bezos story hit, there were two competing theories about its provenance. Was the Inquirer just digging up dirt on the world's richest man because it was a dramatic story? Or was the Inquirer targeting Trump, a Trump enemy, for political purposes, perhaps to get back in the president's good graces, end quote. Hmm. Now, Bezos is owner of the Washington Post, a frequent Trump critic, and has been a target of the Inquirer since announcing that he and his wife would be obtaining a divorce. Not appreciative of the attention he was getting from the tabloid, he hired an investigator to suss out the reason for their fixation on him. Simultaneously, CNN further reports, quote, The Washington Post worked on a story titled, quote, Was tabloid expose of Bezos' affair just juicy gossip or a political hit job, end quote. It should be noted that Bezos' girlfriend's brother, Michael Sanchez, someone close to David Pecker, was thought to be the source of the texts, but in an interview with the Post, he denied any wrongdoing and said he was told by people at the Inquirer's parent, American Media, that the tabloid was trying to do a takedown to make Trump happy, end quote. Now, the funny thing about that deal Pecker and AMI got from the special counsel, a condition for preserving their immunity was that they're required to keep their noses clean for a three-year period during which any legal violation of which they're culpable would nullify the deal, making Pecker as vulnerable to prosecution as Cohen. Now, should that happen, should this escapade uh, prove to have involved illegal actions of bribery by AMI and Pecker, that would possibly help to take down the reigning king of American tabloid media, as well as leave our president with yet another of his besties behind bars. Wow. The State of the Union took place last Tuesday evening, and Scott and I watched all painful an hour and 20 minutes of uh, I the think it was speech. like an hour and 29. Oh. Just under well, an hour and a half. the longest... State of the Union speech ever, correct? That's right. Uh, and it was a boring, uh, barely literate disgrace of lies and falsehoods and whatever else you want to call them. And it was, he was like an automaton up there. He was, he was not himself. You know, when he is presidential, he's not Trumpian. 
<laughs> because the two just don't mix. It's a, he's a complete bore when he's on uh, on you know reading, and it's just embarrassing. So you know his poetry consists of let's be going for greatness again. Woo! How that's inspiring. that's that's his poetry. Um, and in the meantime, I think the only really notable things were that he bragged about. Um, Women working in record numbers to which the women in the uh, house all stood up and were applauding. Um, And little did he connect the dots, of course, that they're all there because they despise him and that inspired them to run. Right. Um, The other thing I thought was really notable was that he pointed out victims of undocumented immigrants, um, but he said nothing about the Parkland shooting. Or Not any other one mass word. tragedy right. at exactly. the hands of white male Americans. Exactly. Nothing said about that. Um, and then he, the other notable thing was when he basically threatened Congress, saying that there could not be legislation if there was war and investigation. Right. Um, I guess basically saying that he's not going to play ball with legislation if anybody dares to investigate him. Um, to which Adam Schiff said the next day, we will be investigating him. Right. That right. is our job, mm-hmm. to investigate and do oversight. Uh, okay, the women in the House uh, wore white in a display of unity, and Nancy Pelosi uh, was quite the source of memes all over the Internet <laughs> for her clapping at Trump, which puts clapping in a whole other act of insubordination. That's right. It was really choice. Uh, there's one notable absence from this speech that I wanted to point up. Um, you know, at one point it did become kind of uh, uh, stump speechy where he was talking about how great his wall was going to be and how his wall was going to be this and how border security was going to be that. But the one thing that he did not mention was how we could enforce border security in a humane and compassionate way. That was clearly not on his mind. Oh, well, he did say there was a humanitarian crisis at the border because these families are coming, uh, you know, making their way to the border. And that's a crisis. Uh, The crisis is you then separate them and and treat them like uh, animals or something. Well, clearly people immigrating to this country um, and getting through border security in a humane way was not... Uh, high up on his mind. And uh, it should be noted that um, tonight, this is Monday, tonight he's making a big speech in El Paso. And uh, one of the presidential candidates that we will be discussing, Julian Castro, is also there. And uh, I was watching something that he had uh, recorded and you can find on YouTube. And he talks exactly about how compassion and Humanity must be key ingredients uh, in this whole process. And it was just a refreshing departure from the crap that we heard last Tuesday. And I believe Beto O'Rourke is also having a big rally down there tonight as well. That's right. So, Stacey Abrams, who recently lost her election to be governor of Georgia, narrowly lost... Uh, but who is considered an up-and-coming Democrat, gave the Democratic response and received very high marks for her speech. She outlined the party's vision for lower health care costs, 
a more inclusive immigration policy, and improved access to voting. Ms. Abrams was the first African-American woman to deliver the response. And uh, like I say, uh, lots of people had good things to say about her, and um, it really was refreshing to hear her addressing the issue of voter suppression, yeah, which really, is a big problem. She really hit her stride at that point. Okay, and then I also wanted to highlight the Hispanic response was given by Xavier Becerra, and I think he must be a, a, a representative, but I actually didn't look that up. But he said some really great things that I thought I wanted to, to uh, touch on. He said, the wall on the border is not the only wall this administration is trying to build. He said, Trump is putting a wall between you and your doctor. Mm. And again, he's talking about, you know, health care issues. He said, a wall between you and your voting booth. Mm -hmm. A wall between veterans and their medical services. Mm -hmm. A wall between parents and their children, putting children in cages. And then he said... We can bring down walls with our hands. And you, with your votes, last November, you changed the composition of Congress. Now that you see, and he said, and that changed the politics of our nation. Mm -hmm. And he ended with, now that you see your power, are you ready to open new doors? Nice. So I love the way he used the wall as the ways. The metaphor. The, yeah, the I thought that was really uh, well said. And what I'm looking to hear from candidates is a bit of poetry. That's right. Along with policy. So I really liked his speech. Very nice. Let's get local. Let's get local. Okay, folks, here are some of the issues before the state legislature that I thought were important to highlight this week. The conversion therapy bill, which I'm hoping everyone knows conversion therapy is where you go to therapy and they try to convert you from your homosexual um, uh, nature. This bill passed the Virginia Senate Along party lines, 20 Republicans voted to allow conversion therapy in Virginia, while 19 Democrats said no. The American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry finds no evidence to support the application of conversion therapy, and additionally, there is evidence that such interventions are harmful and that it should not be any part of behavioral health treatment of children and adolescents. Now, th what happened next was Senator Vogel made the unusual move to reconsider the vote, sending it back to committee. This move effectively kills the bill. So this was a Republican state senator who sent this back to committee, apparently after getting all sorts of pushback about this bill. Mm -hmm. This is an atrocity that this is going on and that this should be approved in the state of Virginia. Every mental health organization that I'm aware of says that this is not effective and that it is detrimental and harmful to people. Um, so that, that we're still dealing with this and this almost got passed is a disgrace right. in our state. And again, people, 
The reason we've got to get the Republican majority out of the state legislature. This is not how we want to be represented, I'm quite sure, in our state. All right. Also, Virginia lawmakers voted this week to prohibit drivers from using handheld mobile devices while being behind the wheel. This is a major tightening of an existing ban against texting while driving. So all you folks out there who still in this day and age are hand-holding your phone and chatting away, no more. Put your phone down, focus on the task at hand of driving so the rest of us can be safe. And thank you to the state of Virginia. Once again, a little behind the curve mm-hmm. on this issue, but better late than never. That's right. And that's what's going on locally. Other than in our district next week, we have an election. That's right. If you are in the 86th district of Virginia, get out there and vote for Ibrahim Samira on February 19th. Vote. Vote. Folks. We're calling this next section of the podcast the Shit Show Trio. And that's what we have here in the state of Virginia. The Shit Show Trio. Woo-hoo. Of Ralph Northam, Justin Justin Fairfax, and and Mark Mark Herring. So, without further ado, the Washington Post reports, Ralph Northam vows a focus on race amid scandal, seeks agenda on equality, says he will not resign. The Virginia governor is grappling with white privilege. He says he believes that he is uh, not a symbol of that ugly past, but believes he is an example of change. Looking ahead, he says he has asked his cabinet secretaries to come up with specific proposals to begin addressing issues of inequality, such as expanding access to health care, housing, and transportation. He acknowledged there are some very deep wounds in Virginia, and this incident has really raised the level of awareness for racial issues in Virginia. And we're ready to learn from our mistakes. Okay. He now says he will take a harder line on the Confederate statues, saying if there are monuments that provoke this type of hatred and bigotry, They need to be in museums. Amen. He was previously a little lukewarm about that topic. A recent poll showed that overall, Virginians are deadlocked about whether or not he should step down. Literally, I think it was 47% to 47%. Wow. However, African Americans are saying by a wide margin, 58 to 37% that he should remain in office. One African-American woman in the article saying, he has been a good governor, and as far as I know, he's been good to black people. All right. So that is the Ralph Northam uh, portion of the shit show, other than his interview, I think, yesterday, where he referred to African-Americans first coming to Virginia as indentured servants, and had to have the reporter reply, you mean slaves. Um, and that was totally embarrassing. So this guy has a long way to go. But we're going to discuss that in a little bit. That's right. Okay. The second uh, uh, leg of the shit show stool is Justin Fairfax, Virginia's lieutenant governor, 
who has been accused by two different women of sexual impropriety even since the scandal surrounding Governor Northam broke. First was the story by Vanessa Tyson of an encounter with Fairfax at the 2004 Democratic National Convention, which Fairfax insists was consensual. Tyson reported the incident to the Washington Post over a year ago, but the paper says they were unable to substantiate either her or his claim and chose not to run the story. The National Review, however, reports that, quote, in total, Tyson reportedly told five separate individuals of the alleged assault in the oh. two years leading up to her publicly accusing Fairfax on Sunday evening, oh. end quote. Oh, Not good. Not good. Subsequent to this charge was one by Meredith Watson, a Duke University classmate of Fairfax's, who claimed that the future politician raped her in huh. 2000. Now, Fairfax has called for a full investigation into these claims to clear his name. But in the meantime, countless other politicians has, have asked for his resignation and uh, members of his own, um, you know, uh, office uh, mm -hmm. um, are, are just bailing on him uh -huh. right and left. Well, I think, you know, I, I mean, it, well, we'll get into the discussion of this, but I mean, this sounds, it sounds very daunting. It is daunting. And right now uh, the um, Virginia House is on the fence about whether or not to impeach. Oh, and I think they, well, they backed off on that they, today. Right, because of the call for an investigation. And an investigation, I think, is really appropriate. Let's have an investigation of these kinds of allegations. You know, the timing of all of this is very bizarre, that all of a sudden the three top guys are all being called out for this or that. But, but... You know, but this do, one, this one is an outlier from the other two. And, and yeah, it, it is. It almost makes me it almost reminds me of how Spiro Agnew's demise was completely separate, but at, concurrent with the Watergate. Well, it's very sad because he really was an up and coming uh, uh, guy. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, if these allegations are true, I mean, it's, if they're not, I mean, that's horrible. But if they are, it's, you know, it's unacceptable, obviously. All right, the New York Times reports in our third leg of the shit show. Virginia Attorney General Mark Attorney General Mark Herring admits to using blackface, throwing um, the party into turmoil, throwing the Democratic Party into turmoil. Right. The third-ranking elected official in Virginia acknowledged Wednesday that he had worn blackface at a party as an undergraduate student when he dressed up as the rapper Curtis Blow. He said it was a one-time occasion and that, quote, the shame of that moment has haunted me for decades, unquote. Now, let's have a chat about the shit show. Right. Okay, first of all, Mark Herring, I, uh, why anybody doesn't understand that blackface is really not a good thing, let's all be clear. Don't do not it. Not a good thing. Don't do it, Okay. Um, although I just heard a poll today, a general poll that said 53% of Americans think that blackface is acceptable at a party. Darkening your face to be a character is acceptable. Now, this was before the Virginia scandal, so let's he see how that yeah. pans out. But we all need to be aware, not acceptable. Not. Okay, so by all accounts, the Mark Herring story was dealt with rather well. I guess in comparison to the other two. Certainly in comparison. And the Justin Fairfax, I think we've touched on. Investigate. Right. It's very troubling. It is. 
The Ralph Northam story I would like to circle back to. Let's unpack this one a bit, shall we? I've had some very strong feelings about Ralph Northam and this whole thing. This is what I would like to say. The man has said he will not resign. That leaves us in the situation. Right. Do we storm the governor's house? Or I must say I'm encouraged to see that 58% of the African-American community wants him to stay. I will say that that does help me feel a little bit better about this Mm -hmm. because, frankly, that was my concern, was that if we don't stand firmly behind the African-American community, that that would do great harm to our party. Right, because just later this year, we're having a major election in the state of Virginia, and if if Democrats are not known to stand by the African-American community, then how can we expect them to stand by Democrats? Exactly. So... Now, I'm still hearing plenty of people who think he should resign, but he's not resigning. We have nothing in place to to get him out, apparently. Right. So, can good be done? Can this be a teaching moment? Can this be a teaching moment? Now, I think it's also different because he was standing with someone or he the picture of him with a KKK person, I think is just unacceptable. I think that's a terrorist. I think that's unacceptable. However... I understand it was 30 years ago. I understand the man has done a lot of good in the state of Virginia since then. So here we are with Ralph Northam. If he is going to now do good works and if he now is going to expand access to care and maybe do some other good things, get these damn Confederate statues out of our state, maybe some good could come of this. We certainly know that if all these dudes resigned, and we're left with the Republican. We know the Republican have probably, they've had some share of blackface. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Tell Can I us. just tell you a little bit about what, uh, what, the, ta- what the flavor's like on the other side of the aisle. Um, as reported by the BBC, Virginia Senate Majority Leader Tommy Norman in 1968 was the managing editor of Virginia Military Institute's yearbook, The Bomb, which, according to the Virginia Pilot newspaper, was strewn with slurs against black and Asian students, contained Confederate imagery, and at least one instance of the N-word, as well as racist terms referring to a student from Thailand. Another student was named, nicknamed the Barracks Jew for having his fingers in the finances of the entire Corps. Now, here's a sense of what we're dealing with. In a letter from the editor's section, Mr. Norman, publisher, mind you, had written... Quote, work on the bomb has permitted me to release four years of inhibitions. <laughs> but in a recent statement, he has sought to distance himself from the yearbook's controversial content, claiming he was only one of seven who worked on the 350-plus page publication and was not personally responsible for every photo, every entry or word. What a profile in courage. Well, here's what I have to say, and this is where we're at. I spoke out very strongly against this Ralph Northam last week, and now, yes, I will be I will be the first to admit I have softened a little bit. I still think this is all reprehensible, and I hope to God that we've all learned a lesson and don't have to deal with this ever again with our politicians. I still don't like it. I still think it's questionable, and I still think it could do the party harm. But this is what we're dealing with. So if our guy steps down... And we have the Republican step in, who may have his own blackface uh, in his past. 
He ain't going to do a thing no. for anybody to help anybody. No. At least Ralph Northam and, is phoning in that he wants to do good now. And certainly their policies aren't going to do a thing for um, the African American community. I said when I first heard the story that I wanted to at least hear Northam's reaction. And, well, <laughs> I did. And that certainly did not help. Oh. Uh, had he only taken a little more time at the outset to, you know, really consider his response, boy, it might have done him a couple of favors. Yeah. As one of our friends said, he really needed to have a much better crew advising him and helping him because the man does not do well just on his own. He and, needed grooming. And maybe that's a feature and not a bug, that he is not a politician in that sense of the word. He fumbles. He is not slick. He's a pediatrician. He's a pediatrician. So maybe he can do good. Okay. And now, introducing the candidates who will enter the ring to go whoop Trump's ass in 2020. Woo! Woo! Our first candidate we will discuss is the one I mentioned earlier, Julian Castro, who is former San Antonio mayor and who formally announced his candidacy on January 12th. It should be noted that his grandmother came to the U.S. from Mexico when she was just a seven-year-old orphan, and she raised his mother as a single parent, just as his mother raised him and his twin brother and U.S. Representative Juan Castro. Uh, Julian, in spite of his modest upbringing, graduated from both Harvard and Stanford. He interned for Bill Clinton, was the first Hispanic American to land the coveted keynote speaker role at the 2012 Democratic Convention, and went on from there to be President Obama's Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Now, I must give a hat tip to PBS, which provided a very handy uh, list of bullet points on where Castro stands on major issues, which puts him pretty squarely in the progressive mainstream, with calls to rejoin the Paris Climate Treaty, establish universal pre-K education, and provide two free years of higher education, require universal background checks, ban assault weapons, create a universal health system, Medicare for all, allow a path to citizenship for most undocumented undocumented immigrants, and reconstitute U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE. Um, On social issues, he supports abortion remaining legal after 20 weeks, says gay marriage is a protected right, and says transgender Americans should be able to serve in the military. He says the U.S. should withdraw its presence from Syria over a planned period of time and that NAFTA should be renegotiated. While that platform may not set him far apart from his primary challengers, he says he's got a sure way to be Trump's biggest nightmare. Well, number one, I'm going to win Florida, I'm going to win Texas, and I'm going to win Arizona. So... For the record, it's Julian, not Julian, but I'm not re-recording that segment. CNN reports, Amy Klobuchar enters presidential race, announcing her presidential bid at a snowy, freezing outdoor event on Saturday. The three-term senator from Minnesota was the first woman elected to the Senate from the state of Minnesota. Throughout her speech, she pledged to take on issues like money in politics, climate change, and election reform. She said of the crowded field, quote, What makes me unique is I did this announcement speech in the middle of a blizzard, 
And I think we need people with grit. I have that grit. She later said, quote, I am tough enough to take on Donald Trump. I would have liked to have seen him sitting here in the snow for an hour giving this speech, unquote. Um, from her re remarks, it was clear that her campaign will be centered on making inroads in the Midwest. The senator has consistently uh, overperformed other Democrats in Minnesota, winning her three terms in office by a range of 26 percentage points. She is not considered as liberal as the other candidates in the race so far. She has voted with Trump's interests 31% of the time. And she gained a lot of attention for her questioning of Brett Kavanaugh in his hearing. Now, the New York Magazine reports, Klobuchar's staff mistreatment goes back a decade. Four former staffers claim Klobuchar's behavior, quote, regularly left employees in tears, unquote. She allegedly tossed papers and, quote, one aide was accidentally hit with a flying binder, unquote. Huh. A former aide of Al Franken's recalled an incident where Klobuchar directed an aide to berate herself, saying, I'm, uh, quote, I'm supposed to tell you, the aide said with a look of terror on her face, quote, Senator Klobuchar is late because I am bad at my job, unquote. Her reputation as a demanding boss was so well known that in 2015, retired Nevada Senator Harry Reid reportedly told her to reconsider her management tactics. In one story in the Huffington Post, Former staffers described Klobuchar as, quote, habitually demeaning and prone to bursts of cruelty that make it difficult to work in her office for long, unquote. The article also noted her rate of staff turnover is consistently one of the highest in the Senate. When asked about these allegations, Klobuchar said, yes, quote, yes, I can be tough. And yes, I can push people, unquote. At least three people withdrew from consideration to lead her 2020 campaign, in part because of her behavior. Wow. Now, I find all of these allegations quite disturbing. Yes. And now, a bit of moralizing and lecturing. I have been appalled as a mental health professional at the comments I have seen online from women who fall into the category of saying, this is only because she's a woman that we're having this conversation. And why is it, you know, that women are always uh, held to a different standard than men? To which I say, any candidate that I hear reports of them behaving like this is going to get serious scrutiny from me. That's right. Because I find this behavior completely unacceptable. This is emotional and verbal abuse. And people in the media, I cannot believe the minimizing and poo-pooing of all of this mm -hmm. that I have seen from people. It is not okay. And one woman even said online, well, she only hit someone once. Oh, boy. And I said, 
Oh, is that what we should tell our daughters? Is that what we should tell our children? Well, you know, the person only hit you once and they were stressed out. They work in a very stressful environment. That's just how it is. That is what I have heard from people. That's just how it is in these kinds of environments. And if you can't take it, get out of the kitchen. Well, I don't find that acceptable. And I'll tell you what, I have had it up to here with cruelty and lack of empathy and, and a picking on vulnerable people mm-hmm. from this current administration right. to nauseate me to no end. The least thing I want from my presidential candidate going out the next time is somebody I can look at and feel this is a decent human being Mm -hmm. who understands compassion and empathy and competence and intelligence. But I don't think it's asking too much to think that your president would be a respectful and professional person in a work setting. I got to say that one argument that, you know, this is only getting the attention it is because she's a woman is about to fall flat on its face because she's in very good female company. And unless right. unless uh, uh, unless Warren and and um, Harris and the others are of equal, you know, temperament. Right. Then, you know, no, it's not because she's a woman. It's because she is known to be the worst of the worst in this regard. That's right. That's right. Or one of the worst. And again, I don't care. If men are behaving like this, I will call them out equally strongly. I don't think any, I don't want my children going to a work environment like this. Right. I don't want my daughter coming home in tears saying I had to go to Al Franken's office and say I was bad at my job. I would be horrified if that were my daughter. And these should all be our daughters. These should all be our sons. Isn't that right? That's right. This is my point is, Isn't this what the whole Me Too movement was? Empowering people to step forward and say, you know what, this behavior that was acceptable, we don't find it acceptable anymore. We need to have a higher standard of behavior. That's right. And hold people accountable for abusive behavior. I don't see this any differently. Right. There have been a lot of behaviors over the years that were deemed acceptable until people finally stood up right. and said, no, this is not acceptable. Right. It used to be okay to grab a woman in the ass. Right. Uh, that's not okay now. No. We, know, we understand that's not okay in a professional setting. But all the people jumping on this and saying, this is not a big deal. This is okay. Why are people picking on her? People it is a big deal. putting this in the same category as apparently Kristen Gillibrand uh, was eating fried chicken with her hands or instead of a fork and knife, some foolishness like this. This is not the same thing. Haven't we learned from the last election the character counts? I think character counts. And just like I wanted to hear how Mitt Romney thought it was appropriate to have his dog traveling on top of his car, so I want to hear this kind of a story. Right. Because I think it's highly relevant. Because it says to me, are you capable of empathy? Right. Are you capable of understanding that you're in a position of power and with that comes responsibility? Not to pick on people of lesser uh, power than you. Because you know what? I want somebody who is going to be very clear at the border that there are vulnerable people there that need protection, that need our empathy, who don't need to be treated cruelly because they don't have power. And that's what I think is so relevant about this. 
I don't need a hothead right. who can't hold on to her staff. And yes, I'm sure there are many other people who had a wonderful experience with her. I'm not saying this is all of who she is. Right. And the worst part is, I really liked her. Uh-huh. So I find this very disappointing. I take no joy in this. Right. But this is relevant. And I want to know, if we're supposed to believe people in this day and age, why are all of these people hopping on top of these people who have come forward and not believing and validating their experience? Right, right. As a mental health professional, I will also tell you, the evidence is very clear that verbal and emotional abuse is more damaging than physical abuse. So all of this poo-pooing of it, I find really unbelievable, frankly. Oh, wow, that's a lot to say. I would really be interested in other people's uh, take on this. And I know we have some section in our podcast where you can leave comments or or something like this. We would love to start hearing from you. Yeah, we would uh, love for some feedback. We'll share it on, on the air. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for expressing yourself. Thank you. And that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week and tell all your left-leaning but not very active friends about us. This has been a Common Production.